God has entrusted us as his people, as the church, with a mission. A great commission, in fact, as we see in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. We as the church are called to continue the work of Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We are to be about the work of reconciling all things to God in Christ. This is the work of missions. This is the work that God has entrusted to us as His people. And I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church, First Baptist Church of Irving, that is committed to this global mission of God. And, and we focus on that global mission often. We, we talk about the things that God is doing around the world. We send teams from our church on short-term mission trips around the world to partner with our long-term missionaries that we are partnered with. We also send families from our church, individuals from our church to go to these places that God has called us to and serve for longer periods of time. There are so many incredible things that are happening in our church and happening around the world as a part of this mission that God has called us to. And as a reminder, next Sunday night, we're going to be celebrating that in more detail at our global missions banquet. And I hope all of you are going to be there and that right now you're thinking about purchasing your ticket after the service tonight. But it's also important as we consider the, the global work of God to remember the responsibility missionally that God has given us here right in our backyard in South Irving, in Irving specifically. It's important for us to remember that our missional commitment as a church is not just for over there, but also right here. Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1-8 after his resurrection? You're going to be my witnesses. Witnesses where? Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A lot of times when we talk about missions, we focus on that ends of the earth piece. But we cannot ignore the fact that the mission begins in Jerusalem. Of course, it ends to the ends of the earth, but we are also called to go across the street. Not just to the ends of the world, but across the street as well. Isn't it funny, if you've been on a mission trip before, isn't it funny how bold we can be, how bold we will be in another country and not, not be very bold outside of our back door, not be very bold in our workplace, not be very bold in our schools? I remember when I was at um, staff at Champion Forest in Houston, I was doing a lot of missions work. There was a, a time, about three-year period, where I went to Scotland to partner with one of our ministry partners there, more than I went home to see my parents. <laughs> I was going over there so often to Scotland, more than Louisiana. And as I was thinking about this sermon this past week, I remember I was thinking about how, how bold I was when I went to Edinburgh, this little place called Nidgery outside of Edinburgh, how bold I was to share the gospel with people I had never seen before. How committed I was, because that was the whole reason that I went to Edinburgh to go over and, and speak the gospel to these people. And I was waking up every day praying for the opportunity to be able to share the gospel with someone, to have this kind of, of eternal conversation with people who needed to know about Jesus. I was so focused 
and my time there in Scotland. And yet, when I got back home to Houston, I kind of settled into life, right? And I got distracted by the normal course of events, and I wasn't living with the same kind of purpose that I lived with when I was on a mission trip. But we have to remember, friends, that this is what we are called to. That same intensity that I had when I was in Scotland, I, Jared Richard, pastor of this church, should have that same intensity in my own home, in my own neighborhood, as I'm going about my daily life right here in Irving. But we, here's what we think. Well, Jared, we got to live with these people, right? When you go over to, to Scotland or you go over to some other place, you're never going to see those people again. So there's no issue. There's no consequence to us being bold in our faith. I got to go to work with them. I got to live with them. I got to cut my yard and see them. I don't want things to be awkward, but friends, isn't it worth some awkwardness to help people know about the eternal hope that they could have in Jesus Christ? That, let's not let that be an excuse. When we fail to engage the community that God has placed us in with the gospel, we have to recognize that we are failing to be obedient to the very command of God and the gospel. Our witness should be greater in our backyards than the witness that we have across the world. Wouldn't it make sense that the place that we frequent the most, we should have a larger impact on in terms of the gospel than places we go to once or twice in the course of our lives? This morning, I want to remind us of the calling that Jesus has given to us as his disciples. The calling to be evangelists, the calling to be disciple makers. But I also want to encourage you with the nature of the work to remember who's actually doing the work through us in the hope that remembering whose authority we are operating under will lead us to rest and the provision that God has given us for this work instead of fearing the work and not being obedient to what God has called us to. Remember, we are called to be witnesses. That is true. But it is not in our own power that this mission is accomplished. It's not in our own power that this work is accomplished. The power of God alone accomplishes the work. We're just to be obedient to play our part. As we're going to see this morning in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, there's nothing that we can do in our own strength to accomplish this mission. The power of God is the key to this work. Our witness, yes, but under His power. Let's read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and see how the Word of God can encourage, this, encourage us this morning. On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon, this is Peter, if you don't know that. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. 
But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats to the point where they both began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. And they followed this Jesus. Let's think about the story. It begins with a miraculous interaction in verses 1 to 7. A miraculous interaction. Jesus is teaching. It's the, the beginning of his ministry in the Gospel of Luke. He came, as you will remember, John chapter 4, to declare under the Spirit of the Lord the good news to the poor to proclaim liberty to the captains and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the Lord's favor. And he's doing just that, walking amongst the people and telling them about the things of God. People, of course, are, are wondering about this guy who is speaking with incredible authority. Who is he? Who is he to, to tell us about the kingdom of God? How, how does he have a unique authority to speak on behalf of God and, and teach us and declare to us things that we've never heard or considered before? And as is often the case, Jesus does something to display his authority over the physical and the spiritual, a physical miracle to communicate his spiritual authority as well. He does a fishing miracle. And the miracle is not that he makes people miraculously actually like the taste of fish. <laughs> he does something more spectacular than that. He's in a fishing boat, teaching a crowd, watching fishermen who have fished all night, cleaning their nets, probably disappointed because they don't have anything to sell or to eat. They were skilled at fishing, absolutely, but it was just one of those nights. And fishermen out here know you just never know what you're going to get until you get on the water. It was one of those nights. And as they're cleaning their nets, preparing to go home, he tells these fishermen to try again. And this seems a little weird. And don't you think that the, the fishermen are saying, okay, Jesus, I mean, obviously you're a master teacher, but we're the fishermen, right? I mean, you grew up in a carpenter's house. If we were asking you to build a boat, maybe we'd come and talk to you. But do you know anything about fishing? I mean, you're a great teacher, obviously, but... But let the fishermen know. Let the fishermen do the fishing work. You just focus on your stuff. But Peter notices something different about Jesus. That there's something unique about this teacher. And he says to him, verse 5, listen, we've toiled all night. And we've not caught a thing. And it doesn't make sense for us to listen to you to go back out into the water and try again. But there's something different about you. You're a master. There's something authoritative about your words. So we're going to go do it. And we're going to see what happens. And sure enough, what these men could not do on their own, they are able to do at the word of Christ. Jesus speaks 
And suddenly the work is different. Not only are they catching fish, they're catching so many fish that their nets are breaking and their boats are sinking. It's the greatest catch of their life. And this leads to a necessary response. Verses 8 to 11. Think about what the fishermen have just seen. Think about what Simon Peter and, and James and John, the partners, the fishing partners, think about what they've just seen. Not one fish for the whole night. Not one fish. Then at the word of Jesus, they catch the most fish they've likely ever seen in one place. To the point where their nets are breaking and their boats are sinking. How do you respond when you see an act of power like that? How do you respond when you see this authority displayed? Not just the authority to speak the words of God, but to back it up with a physical manifestation of the authority that confirms and affirms the authority that Jesus has over spiritual things. Fish are literally responding to the words of Jesus. Incredible. He's got authority over all of creation. What do you do? Well, verses 8 and 9, we see the response. You respond in awe. In awe. Just like Peter did. Notice what Peter says here. He recognizes the power of Jesus and he falls prostrate before him. How could he stand? And the presence of God, not just a master, but Lord. Do you notice how his, his declaration of Jesus changed? Verse 5, Master, we toiled all night. Verse 8, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He wasn't just a teacher. He was God. How could he stand in the face, in the presence of God? Because he recognizes something about himself. He's standing before a, a holy, powerful teacher, the Word of God incarnate, who's just, who's just displayed His authority in the most incredible way. And he, he knows about God. He knows what it means to be in the presence of God, to be in the presence of a holy one. And he knows He's not holy. So He says, get out of my presence. You've you got to leave. Because I'm not holy. You're holy. I know what that means for me. You have you have the right to judge me. You have the right to condemn me right here and right now. You see, Peter's unsure of what being in the presence of this kind of power and holiness means for him. Will, will Jesus judge him right then and there? As he knows he's worthy to be judged because he's a sinful man? But Jesus comforts Peter with an incredible display of of mercy. Verse 10, he says to him, do not fear. Do not fear. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to condemn you. In fact, I'm going to bring you with me. You're going to come with me. You see, Peter didn't know that Jesus had come to make a way for us sinners to be in the presence of God. He had revealed His glory and then he had called these men to himself. His revelation of his glory would not lead to their condemnation, but rather it would lead to Peter's restoration to be in relationship with God where sin had broken that 
relationship. So he called these men to himself, and consequently he called them to a new work, a greater work. Jesus said to them, you're no longer going to be fishing for fish. You're now going to be fishing for men. You used to, to fish to satisfy physical hunger. And now I want you to fish to help me satisfy spiritual hunger by declaring to the people around you the message that I offer. Jesus calls his disciples to be fishers of men, disciplers of men, leading them to Jesus and helping them respond in the same way, giving up everything to follow him. I hope you see, church, as disciples of Jesus Christ today, we are called to the very same thing. He has called us, all of us, not just the pros, all of us, to be fishers of men. We have been caught to join in the catching business. And this may seem overwhelming. And this may seem like a daunting task that God has called us to. But let me remind you this morning of the lessons of the text about the work that God has called us to. And the hope that it will alleviate your fears, that it will relieve your anxiety or challenge your apathy. To encourage us as the people of God to be about this work. What does this text teach us about our new work, about this new work of fishing that God has called us to? I think there's three lessons. Three lessons that I want to draw our attention to about the new work of fishing that Jesus has called us to. Firstly, first lesson about this new kind of fishing. This new kind of fishing is a work of God. It's a work of God. At the end of the day, it is the work of God alone who can accomplish this work. Think about what this story is teaching us. These experts in fishing had, wor had worked all night and caught no fish. They went likely to their special fishing holes. You know if you're a fisherman, you have them, right? When you're having a bad day, you know there's that one place where there's always fish. Always fish. They probably went to their special holes. They probably used the, the right bait. They went at the right time of night. And yet, despite all their expertise, despite all their toil, despite all their effort, nothing happened. But when Jesus spoke, under his authority, everything changed. Suddenly, the work of these men proved fruitful because it was under the direction of Jesus himself. He's teaching us. Christ is teaching us about the work that he's calling us to. You see, this work is not a natural work. It's a supernatural work, this new kind of fishing. It's beyond our pay grade, friends, beyond our ability. Listen, we can do things to manipulate people. Haven't you seen that before? I can draw a crowd. I see crowds all the time. We can draw a crowd, but it is the power of Jesus that will win the day. It's the power of Jesus that will actually transform lives. He alone has the power to save. Why? Think about the miracle of salvation for a moment. If you've experienced this, you know this to be true, I want you to think about the work that we are engaging in leading people to the point of salvation. It's someone pictured here in, in Christ's interaction with Simon Peter. Jesus reveals his glory. 
He specifically reveals his power. And at this revelation of who Jesus is, something clicks in Peter's mind. That he's standing before a holy and righteous God. And if you've read the the Bible at all, you know that that does something to man. To behold the glory of God makes you look back at yourself and realize your own insufficiency. He recognizes in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ that he is a sinful man and has no business being in the presence of God. And that moment, he knows he's messed up. He may have had an idea about before that he was bad, that he had done bad things. But when confronted with the holiness and power of God, he is suddenly diminished, fearful, and what the presence of God can mean for him. And Jesus quickly calms his fears at the recognition of his sinfulness with his mercy. So you don't have to fear. I, I'm, I'm making provision for you to be with me. I'm calling you to myself, which is another revelation of the character of God. But he's not just holy and righteous and just. He's also merciful and gracious. Loving. So here's the question. Who can do this work other than God? Who can reveal God other than himself? Can you and I speak of God without God revealing himself to us first? When we speak of God without the revelation of God, what we're speaking of is a construct of God in our own mind. We're speaking of an idol, of a God that we fashioned in our own image. The only reason we know anything of God is because God in his mercy and his grace has chosen to reveal himself to us as sinful human beings. Friends, can we convict of sin? No. I can put a guilt trip on you with the best of them. I can make you feel guilty, but I can't convict you of sin in a way that leads to salvation. That is a work of God. Can we comfort those in fear, eternal fear, of how a holy and righteous God will act toward them? And recognizing that they are a sinful human being, no, that's not the kind of comfort that we as human beings can offer. That's a supernatural comfort that comes from God alone. Every facet of salvation, the work of salvation in the life of a believer is a work of God. Only He, only He can accomplish these things. It's God's work accomplished only at his word, not our word. So then, Jared, that means we're off the hook, right? He's he's doing the work, so what do we have to worry about? If it's his work, what do we have to do? No, that is not what the Bible teaches us, not even close. He has called us to work within his work. Isn't that a good God? He's allowed us to participate in this thing. We get to work within His work. He wants to use those He has caught to catch others. And that leads us to lesson number two. It is only a work of God that leads to salvation, but this new kind of fishing also requires the obedience of man. It's the work of God, but it requires that somehow in God's sovereign goodness and His divine plan, He has chosen to use human obedience and his effort, his work to reconcile all things to himself in Christ. Here's what's challenging to me in this text. A lot of challenging things, but one that's 
particularly sticks out to me. The fishermen get their nets. They've just cleaned up. And they choose to get back in the boat. They've just gone through all the effort of cleaning up all their gear. They've been fishing the whole night. And yet at the word of Jesus, they get their nets back out. They get onto the boat and they go fishing. They didn't doubt the word of God. They didn't show him disdain for speaking into their business. Rather, they followed the direction of the master and a tremendous blessing resulted. You see, these men could have walked away. They could have said, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. They could have been so discouraged from their night, they just gave up. I just want to go get in bed, Jesus. Right? I've been fishing all night. I'm tired. Let me just go to bed. They didn't do that. They obeyed. And then Jesus calls them to a greater obedience. Not just in that moment but a life devoted to fishing for men. God could have designed his kingdom to grow in a number of ways, but in his divine wisdom, he has chosen us to be instruments of kingdom growth. Somehow, God gets more glory by those of us who have been changed by him, telling others about the change that God has done in our lives and calling them to respond in the same way. Somehow that brings God more glory. And He's allowed us to be participants in His work of redemption. Transformed people calling out to others to see God's provision for them in Christ. Our witness matters because God has ordained that it mattered in the work of building His kingdom. Here's Here's the question, friends. Are we being obedient. We know what God's called us to. We know the importance our obedience plays in building the kingdom of God. And yet for many of us, many of us, and I say this to myself as well, I know I could do better in this work in my life. For many of us, we just fail to fish. Right? The stats show we just don't talk to people about Jesus unless they already know Jesus. We just don't like talking to people who don't know Christ about Christ. We fail to live with intentionality, and that's exactly what God called us to do. Listen, Jesus didn't just preach in the synagogues. He also preached by the seashore. He didn't just preach in the place where it made sense to talk about God. He talked about God everywhere. And that's what we've been called to do as well. Our objective in life is not just to get people into this room. Our objective in life as Christians is to talk about Christ everywhere. I want you to listen to this testimony from one of our faithful members, Maria Matlock, about her desire and effort to be obedient to the calling of Christ. Take a look. So the hardest thing about being obedient... um... I guess was um, just my self-focus and I I wouldn't have called it that before I would have just called it like well I'm shy or I don't want anybody to think I'm weird Uh, but then when I realized like okay I'm focusing on myself and that's why I'm having a hard time being obedient 
then I was able to just basically catch myself and just think about like um, like others others before myself I guess I guess I would say um, but yeah I mean that was the hardest part just and it sounds so selfish but yeah thinking of myself and like what are people going to think of me what if they say no what if like what if I invite people to my house for dinner and nobody comes um, or what if they come and like they don't like the food or even like what if they come and like they all get sick um, so all those things like I would think about and I didn't think they were bad things to be thinking but really they were so self-focused and and they were causing me to disobey um, what the Lord had called me to if you're a stay-at-home mom like I am um, some of the things that I do are library story times and again like you can't just go to story time you have to make an effort to say you know to talk to people and to really put yourself out there and say, hey, I've seen you here at story time. Let's get together. Let's go have coffee. Let's take our kids to McDonald's. Let's, um, things like that. Um, people are more willing to get together than you may think. Uh, I've opened up my home to people that, this is gonna sound probably crazy, but like strangers, like people that I just met and I don't know a lot about them. Like I know enough to where, you know, hopefully they're not gonna, you know, do anything crazy crazy in my house but um but yeah i mean they've come over they've spent time here um and yeah it's just i'd rather i would say i'd rather like if i was just gonna do what's comfortable and easy for me i'll just go hang out at my friend's house and drink coffee and let our kids run around and never hang out with any strangers ever again but um but I also know like, like I love the Lord and, and I want to obey him. That brings me true joy, I guess. It's, you know, it's still a struggle sometimes because I get lazy and I'd rather just stay home. Um, but God, God has called us, he's called us all to do this. And so, you know, we can't just say like, oh, well, that's not my calling. Well, yeah, it is. Um, and I had to tell myself that like, well, you know, right now I'm a mom and, you know, I'm just going to disciple my kids. Yeah, that's good, but I have plenty of time and um, I can disciple people and spread the good news when they're just at home. Praise the Lord. And there's been fruit from Maria's efforts, fruit that has resulted in people coming to know Christ and joining our church because she recognized what God had called her to, and she said, I'm not going to use the excuses anymore. I'm going to be obedient. And friends, I want to challenge us in that today, that God has ordained our obedience to play a role in this process, that our witness will be used by Him, our work will be used by Him to accomplish His greater work. Now, I don't want you to feel condemnation here, but I do want you to feel conviction that this is important. Of all the things that we give our life to, is there a greater work that we could give our life to than this? To tell people about what God has done in our hearts, what God has done in our life to bring us joy, transformative joy that we know they are longing for. And if we did that, can you imagine the results? Let's listen to lesson number three. 
This work is a work of God. It's a a work that requires the obedience of man. And three, this new kind of fishing will lead us to awe-induced worship. When we are a part of something that we can't explain other than the work of God, it will lead us to astonishment and worship. When we sit back and we watch something we know we had no business being a part of happen, and we worship the God who has revealed himself to us even once again, and will encourage us to be obedient until he returns to take us home. I was thinking about another story that I had in uh, another encounter I had in the United Kingdom in a place called Darlington. It's in the kind of the northern part of England. And we were working with a church there in Darlington, a church that had had some difficulty in reaching the community around them. They were an older congregation. They had not been able to engage with the younger people in the city. And so they asked us to come over and and help them figure out a way to engage some of the the younger populations in Darlington, specifically at the university. And so I led one of our young adult teams over to Darlington and and we kind of did a variety of things to, to encounter and engage the people around. We, we listened to the, the, the desire of the pastor there, and he wanted us to go into town square and just start singing some hymns. <laughs> and we did. And it is one of the most uncomfortable things I have ever done in my life. But as we were honoring to him, he became open to some of the things that we wanted to do. And so one of the things that we did was we went right in front of the university there in Darlington and we began to play Ultimate Frisbee. And I love Ultimate Frisbee. And I'm used to playing Ultimate Frisbee when it's a 90 or 100 degrees outside here in Texas. But over there, it was like 65, 70. I was like a gazelle out there just you know, running around. It was wonderful. And uh, we just started inviting some of the people around, some of the, the college students to come and play hey, would you want to come play Ultimate Frisbee with us? And do you know what they did? They said yes. They started playing. And then we invited them to this this coffee shop in the area. We said, hey, listen, we're having this little get-together at a coffee shop. There's going to be free coffee. We're going to talk about spiritual things. We'd love for you to come and be a part of it. And do you know what they did? They came. Now, some of this probably because we're Americans, and they're fascinated by Americans, probably also free coffee. But they came and they listened They listened to the gospel, and then we invited them back to church on Sunday for a baptism service that night, because we wanted them to see the effect of the gospel in someone's life. And I think think it was at six o'clock, and I remember sitting in the worship service at six o'clock, and there were no people in in the worship center, none. I think there was like 10 people from the church in there. And so we began to have a conversation. Do we go ahead and go through with the service? I mean, clearly we need to baptize this, this young person. He's got an incredible testimony we need to share. But we were also a little deflated because all of these people, you know, we had conversations with 50, 60 people, and they didn't come. And so, okay, we said, okay, we're just going to go ahead and be faithful to what God's called us to do. Let's go ahead and start the service. And do you know, it was almost immediately as we began the service, the door opened. And people started walking in. It was incredible. I mean, not just 10 or 15 people. I'm talking like 50 or 60 people who had never stepped foot in a church began walking through that door. 
And they got to see a testimony of baptism before them, of a life that was changed. They got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had a a finger food thing after, and they came back and they talked with us. I had one of the most incredible spiritual conversations of my life as a result of that moment, of that faithfulness. And I want to tell you guys, I look back on that now, and in one way I feel guilt because I haven't been that bold in my everyday life here as I was bold in that mission trip overseas. But it was one of the most stunning displays of God's power to reach people who did not know him that I've ever experienced in my life. And I gotta tell you, the whole team, we worshiped the Lord. We worshiped God because there was no business. We had no business engaging with those people. It, it, was, it was such a work of God that all of us said, we can't take any credit for it. And here's my desire. I want that for this place. I want that for First Baptist Church of Irving. Don't, don't you want to be a part of something when you sit back and you say, that wasn't us. Now God used us, but there's more that happened here than just what we can take credit for. I don't want to be a part of a church that can be explained by our own efforts. I don't want to be a part of a work that can be explained by our work alone. I want to be part of something supernatural. Something incredible that could only be a story that God writes. Do you long for that? Do you long to see something like that happen right here in First Baptist Church of Irving? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I hope you pray for that. I hope you, you, you beg the Lord to work powerfully through his people. But I also hope you recognize that part of experiencing that is also being obedient to play our part and then trusting God to do what only he can do. And that combination of things, friends, can you imagine with 700 people going and being obedient to the calling of God in Irving, can you imagine what would result from that work under the power and authority of God? Can you imagine what would happen that could lead us to a place of awe-induced worship? So here's what we want to do. Over the next few weeks, we want to help you grow in your commitment to this new kind of fishing. Again, we don't want to leads you in a guilt trip. We want to encourage you to recognize what God has called us to and to recognize that he's equipped you more than you believe to do this work. More than you believe. We're going to start small. We're going to join in a a national campaign that was introduced by the Southern Baptist Convention under the leadership of our current president. His name is J.D. Greer. It's a campaign called Who's Your One? And here's the question. What if every single member of a Southern Baptist church just focused on sharing the gospel with one person. One person. What would happen? What would happen in our churches if all of us just began thinking about one? When you consider the nations, the calling that God has called us to can be overwhelming, right? I mean, it can be overwhelming to think about all the people around the world, the the billions of people who do not know Jesus. And sometimes that kind of of large work can cause us to just stop in our tracks as we don't know where to begin. 
But what if we just started with one? What if we just thought about one person that God has brought into our, our sphere of influence to have a conversation with about Jesus? So we're going to join in, and we're going to challenge each other, including myself, to do the exact same thing. All right? We're going to join in this, this movement. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about all the areas of your life that you interact with people. You have your family. Some of you have school. Some of you are teaching at school. Some of you go to the retirement center over here at Irving. Some of, obviously, all of us live in neighborhoods. We have friends. We have regular contacts that we engage with in the course of our life. I want you to think about all the areas of influence that you have in your life, all the areas where, where you interact with people. Here's what I want you to ask, you ask yourself. From all those places, is there anyone, anyone whose spiritual condition you're unsure about? That if the Lord were to come back today, you just don't know where they would be. Or maybe you do know where they would be. And it's not a good thing. Because you're sure about their spiritual condition in a, in a negative way, right? If you need to for a moment, just pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to your mind. Do you have a name? If not, if you don't have a name, I want you to begin right now. Because this happens sometimes, especially in churches that are, that are disestablished, that we just quit interacting with lost people. And all of our friends are people who go to church, although sometimes people in church can also be lost. But we're not intentional about going outside and engaging our people. Would you begin praying right now that the Lord would bring someone into your life over the next week? You may not have a name yet, but the Lord would bring you someone who doesn't know Jesus who you can share with them. But for those of us who do, I want you to think about that name. And I want you to write it down. Either on the note page, it's inside your bulletin, somewhere where you can have a reminder that, hey, I need to be praying about this because God is calling me to make sure that they have heard the gospel. I want you to notate it. I want you to think about it. I want you to commit yourself to it. God, I understand what you've called me to, and I know that you've put this person into my direct area of influence for a reason. And even trusting me with this gospel, and I want to ask you to help me do what I know you have called me to do. I want you to begin praying for that person and praying for an opportunity to share with them, to maybe have lunch with them over the next few weeks or to have them over to your house for dinner, just the things like Maria talked about earlier. Maybe the Lord, this has happened to me a lot, maybe the Lord will bring a question to their mind that they come to you to ask because they know you're a follower of Christ. And there's no greater invitation than that in terms of having a spiritual conversation with someone. Will you commit to do that? To to engage this one person with the gospel. Here's what I want to do to encourage all of us. In just a minute, after our service today, we've, we've set up a piece of glass, plexiglass, in the Welcome Center. And there's a marker there. And I want you to go and I want you to write the first name of the person that you're praying for and you want to have a conversation with on that piece of plexiglass uh, sometime today over the course of the next week, if you don't have anybody today in your mind. And I want us to, to commit to praying for one another in this, to, to see that as a reminder of all the, the people that we know who, 
who we don't know where they stand before the Lord. And here's what we're also going to do. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to add some more boards. And as you have an opportunity under the leading of the Spirit to have a spiritual conversation with them, a gospel conversation with them, we want you to move their name. From the first board, I'm just praying for them, to the second board where I've had a spiritual conversation with them. So that we can begin praying about the the work of the Spirit in their life, having heard the gospel. And then, if the Lord blesses, and some of these people actually come to salvation in Christ, we want you to move their name to a third board so that we can all rejoice in the work of transformation that's happening right around us as a direct result of the power of God working through the obedience of this church. Wouldn't that be incredible if we walked this journey together and we encouraged one another to actually be about this work, holding each other accountable to what God has called us to, I think the Lord could do something incredible through this body if we were committed to being sensitive, living with intentionality, praying for God to work among us, and then being obedient to what he's called us to. Would you do that? Would you commit to that? And commit yourself even to the point by going out here and writing their first name on the board so that we can encourage and hold each other accountable. And let me just tell you this. If nobody comes to your mind, guess what? We have an opportunity this week for you to engage your neighbors with the gospel. It's light the night. There's so many times, and we talked about this a lot, there's so many times in our neighborhoods where we just get home, the garage door goes up, you go in, the garage door goes down, and you don't see anybody else the rest of the week. But isn't it incredible how on Halloween the whole neighborhood's out? It's time to start meeting our neighbors. Start engaging them with conversations. And whether you're going to be a part of one of the, the focal locations of our church or you're going to stay at home, we want you to use the guide that's been put in your bulletin today to start engaging people in your neighborhood with a gospel conversation so that you can be obedient to what God has called you to. Let's use this holiday as an opportunity to give them more than just candy. Amen? Let's use that opportunity to, to share the gospel. So friends, who is your one? Maybe the Lord, and this is an incredible blessing, and you'll get over the awkwardness. You'll get over the, the hardness of it. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Because you're going to see the blessing of telling someone about what God has done for you in their life. And to see that joy spread, to be shared and affirmed, is one of the most incredible privileges that God has given to us in the church. Will you be faithful? Not just in Kenya, Chad, France, India, not just in China, but on 6th Street, on Beltline, on North Irving Heights, on Irving Boulevard, on every street, every corner in the city of Irving, will we do what God has called us to? Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time before the Lord, asking Him to help you know how to respond today, friends. Would you just even now begin praying for this church? That we would be faithful. Faithful to what God has called us to. 
that we wouldn't do it in our own strength, that we would actively seek the power of the Lord to do what we cannot do, but we would also do what we know to do in the right empowerment. Would you begin praying for that even now? And then you, individually, specifically, who has God laid on your heart? Is there anybody? Would you commit to being held accountable by writing that name down and then writing it down in our our board out in the Welcome Center so we can pray and encourage each other? And let's prepare to see what God does through our obedience under His power. Father, we're asking you to do something incredible, something supernatural in the city of Irving. Not for our glory, but for yours. Because we want to see this community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you use us to do more than we could ever do on our own, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me remind you this morning, if you don't know Christ, you can't be engaged in the mission before being rescued. Maybe this morning you need to be caught. It's a reminder, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. We want that for you. If you have any questions about that, you can come and speak to one of our ministers right now. For the rest of us, though, let's commit to being fishers of men. Having been caught, let's be about the business of catching men for the glory of God. Let's stand and sing as the Lord leads.